Our text for this morning comes from Daniel 2, verses 19 through 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. This is God's word. You may be seated. This summer, we're in a series of sermons that all have to do with God's character. So we've been looking at various aspects of God's character, and today we're looking at wisdom. So let me put our passage in context if you're not familiar with the book of Daniel. Daniel was an exile from Judah who was taken forcibly into Babylon and trained in the Babylonian political and, and, um, political and even um, um, astrological arts, and he was put in that position of influence on the king. And so there was a time when the king had a dream, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he wanted to know what the dream was and what the interpretation was, and so he asked all his wise men, everybody in the court, all the Chaldeans to tell him what the dream was, and nobody was able to do that. Daniel asked God to reveal it to him. God answered him, and he then told it to the king, and by his words, all the wise men were saved because the king was about to execute them for not doing their job, and because of Daniel's wisdom, which he got from God, a lot of people were saved, and Daniel actually, uh, an opportunity was open to him to have even more influence on the king and on the empire. So that's the context, and throughout this, this experience of Daniel praying and receiving revelation from God and interpreting the dream, he's very careful to say that this wisdom doesn't come from him, but it comes from God directly. And that the king's dream was revealed to him by God. He didn't figure it out. God revealed it to him. Daniel said in Daniel 2 verse 30, But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And then, after that revelation, Daniel prayed and gave this this prayer of praise and thanksgiving, affirming that all wisdom belongs to God, who gives it to his people. So this morning we're looking at God's wisdom and by, uh, of course, connotation, how we can be wise as well. So I have three things that I'd like us to learn this morning. Three things. One, what wisdom is. Two, how we can get it. And three, how we can apply it and live wisely in practice. So what it is, how we can get it, and how we can live wisely. Now, wisdom lies at the intersection of knowledge, power, and goodness. Knowledge, power, and goodness. All three qualities are necessary to produce wisdom. Knowledge, power, and goodness. So someone can be very knowledgeable, but make immoral, not good decisions, and we would never call them wise. Someone may be very powerful 
and can get a lot of things done, but use that power to achieve wrong goals, and we would say that's not wise either. Someone can be very good and moral, but have the wrong interpretation of events, have no knowledge of what's actually happening, and we would say that's not wise either. And the world is, is full of people who are smart but not wise, effective but not wise, moral but not wise, and rare are the people who can combine all three of these qualities which result in wisdom. So here's my definition of wisdom, okay? See if you like it, if you accept it. Wisdom is making the best decisions in pursuit of the highest moral goals based on the most accurate assessment of reality. Wisdom is making the best decisions in pursuit of the highest moral goals based on the most accurate assessment of reality. So in other words, wisdom is understanding the situation. You have to understand what's happening. That's knowledge. Being capable of changing it. That's some level of power. But also having the vision for what the ideal outcome is. And that's goodness. There's morality involved here. So all these three elements have to be working together to produce wisdom. And you can't be wise if you only have one or two of these elements. You must have all three. So as you know, we just moved to a new house, and I spent several days putting together a, a swing set for my daughter, which should not have taken several days for anybody <laughs> except me. And, and I've, it was an exercise in wisdom doing that. There was knowledge part of it. There were instructions. There were steps, there were numbers and letters, and all, every part, every detail, every tool had a, had a code. So there are instructions, that's knowledge. I had to understand how to do it. I'm not instinctively understanding that. I had to learn how to do that. Understanding what all the different parts are for and which order to put them in. Also, power was necessary, or effectiveness, and ability to do that. I had to use the right tools, and in fact, had to get another tool that I didn't have. I had to do things in the right order. I had to build it in the right spot. And then there was goodness that was part of it. Why was I doing that? I was doing that for my daughter. I was doing that for Evie. And so there was a goal. There was a moral goal in mind. And only the combination of those three things made that experience as wise as it was. And I use that word loosely in relation to my skills and my abilities. All the three elements had to be there. If I had no instructions and didn't follow instructions, or if I had no right tools, or if I had no purpose, this wouldn't have been wise. But put it, all those things together, and you get wisdom. And it becomes very practical, and you feel it, and you say, okay, this is what wisdom is. It's putting it together in the right way for the right purpose using the right tools. So my definition of wisdom is making the best decisions in pursuit of the highest moral goals based on the most accurate assessment of reality. Now, I've come up with that definition earlier in the week. <clears throat> then I read J.I. Packer, who has his own definition that's probably better, so I'll give it to you as well. But I think we're thinking along the same lines. Packer says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal 
together with the surest means of attaining it. So wisdom is about accurately assessing a problem, finding the right solution to it, and ensuring the best outcome. Wisdom is about decision-making based on reality while pursuing the right goals by the right means. Now, it's, it's a little complex, but I think once we get it, we put all these elements together, then we say only God is wise. And this is what Daniel comes to. He prays for wisdom. He prays for revelation of a mystery. God gives it to him, and he praises him and says, God only wise. Only God has wisdom. Wisdom belongs to him alone. Because if you think about those three elements, <clears throat> there's only one person who combines those three qualities perfectly and to the highest degree possible, which is why Scripture says he is the only wise God. Daniel prays, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes <clears throat> times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Now, God's knowledge is perfect. He's omniscient. He knows everything, everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be, everything that could have been, that should have been, that almost was, that can never be. God knows all of, the, all of that. God alone has the right view of everything. God alone can assess the situation in exactly the right way. God has perfect knowledge, is able to see everything exactly as it is. So knowledge is there. God is also omnipotent. He has absolute power. He can execute all his decisions perfectly. No one can thwart his purposes. So Daniel says that God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He makes an assessment of the situation and then he changes it. And God is also good. He is morally perfect. God never pursues evil goals. He is good and he does good. Daniel says that the light dwells with him. There's no darkness in God, so he's perfectly wise, perfectly good. Wisdom belongs to him. So what we read in Scripture is that if you define wisdom in this way as a combination of knowledge and power and goodness, only God possesses those three categories to the fullest extent, and thus only God is wise. Which means that for us to get wisdom, we have to go to Him. We have to get it from Him. If wisdom is from God, then for us to be wise, we must get it from Him. In fact, this is what Daniel thanks God for, for giving wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. But it's interesting that God did not reveal the king's dream to any of the court officials besides Daniel and his three friends. None of the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's court could help him. Now, those, they were the wise men. They were the, the people who possessed wisdom. They were the people who had, were trained in those arts, and yet none of them could answer the king's questions. And yet Daniel says, thank you God for giving wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He doesn't mean the Chaldeans. He means another group of people, somebody who, whom God identifies as wise and understanding. So for us to get wisdom, which God gives to the wise, we must first understand how to become wise in God's eyes. Once you are in that category, you trust that God gives wisdom to you, 
Wisdom that comes from Him is given to you and help you, can help you in your life. So Daniel and his friends were wise in, in God's eyes and God answered their prayers by revealing the king's dream to them. Now the difference between the wisdom of Daniel and his friends and the wisdom of the Chaldeans is the relationship with God. That's the difference. Daniel knew God, so he could ask for wisdom because he knew God and he knew that God gave wisdom to those who knew him. In other words, wisdom begins with rejecting the world's idea of wisdom and embracing a relationship with God as the source of true wisdom. As Proverbs 9 puts it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now what Proverbs is saying is that to even be put in the category of the people who will get the revelation, who will get God's wisdom, who will get help from God, You have to have a relationship with Him. You have to fear Him, which is an Old Testament way of saying you have to believe in Him. You have to walk with Him. You have to be in a relationship with Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So for us to live wisely, we first have to get it. We have to get wisdom. We have to be with God, be in a relationship with Him, to be put in the category of the wise and the understanding so then we can ask and receive wisdom. But the paradox of becoming wise in God's eyes and coming into a relationship with him, is that it makes us foolish in the eyes of everyone else. To become truly wise, to be seen by God as wise, as people who fear him, we must become fools. And that change, that absolutely necessary change, if we are to get wisdom, hinges on our perception of Jesus Christ, who is the incarnate wisdom of God. So let me connect the dots here. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following. This is one of the, the best passages on wisdom in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following. Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now what Paul is saying is that this message of the gospel that actually leads to true wisdom is completely unacceptable to the wise of the world. Now we saw that in in Daniel, the Chaldeans, the wise people in the court, couldn't actually answer the question. Those who were perceived to be wise were shown to be fools by God. And Daniel, who was perceived to be a fool, was shown to be wise because he knew God and he could ask God for wisdom. So to become wise, we must believe in the gospel of Christ, which is folly to those who don't believe. But to those who do believe, it opens the door 
to a relationship with the wise God through Christ, who is the wisdom of God himself. He is the incarnate, the embodied wisdom of God. No one can be truly wise unless they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I know that this sounds like something a Christian would say, something that you would hear at church. No one can be wise unless you believe what we believe. But I don't think we can find wisdom if we don't have the right perception of reality, if we don't have the right understanding of the goals of humanity, if we don't understand the mechanism and the means by which God would achieve those goals. What I mean is that you can only be wise if you put Jesus, the wisdom of God, at the center of our understanding and experience of reality. And if we do that, we understand the situation better, we understand the goals better, we understand the, the means of getting there better, and thus we can become wise. It's in Christ and through Christ that the wisdom of God is revealed. Without Him, without His life, His death, His resurrection, we really don't know what our situation truly is and what plans God has for us and how these plans can be accomplished. Now let me explain, because I, I don't think this is just a religious person advocating for his religion. I think there's a universal value to this that if you're not a Christian and you look at this, this will make sense. Jesus is the wisdom of God because through him, God gives us the most accurate assessment of our circumstances. Now remember, part of wisdom is understanding what's going on around you, the right assessment of, of the problem. And through the cross... Through the work of Christ, we understand that we are hopeless sinners. Now, if God had to become human, if God had to live under his own law in human form, if he had to die a shameful death, what does it say about our true condition? It's really bad. It's really bad. If God has to do that, that means we are in really, really bad shape. If it took the cross to help us, we must really be helpless. Now, if we are helpless and we don't know it, we can't be wise. Because you don't have the accurate assessment of, of your situation. Now, Jesus is the wisdom of God also because through him, God reveals his good vision for us, his ideal for us. Remember, that's the moral quality the goodness quality of wisdom. God, through Christ, tells us that He intends to save us. He intends to enable us to flourish in His kingdom. This is what God wants for us. Jesus had to die to save us, but He wanted to do that for us because He loves us. God's plans for us are good. His highest goal for us is full restoration. Now, we're starting to connect those different aspects together. You can only be wise if you believe in the gospel. You can only be wise if you understand what happened on the cross because on the cross there's the true accurate assessment of who we are. We're in bad shape. We're struggling. We're helpless. We're hopeless within ourselves. And then you learn that God in his goodness wants to save us. So you have good goals for you that are revealed on the cross. That Jesus is doing that willingly so he can help us. And then finally, Jesus, the wisdom of God, shows us that God 
has power to deal with our terrible circumstances and to achieve his great goals. Now, how does God save us? Through Christ and his work in our place. What are the best means of saving us? What are the best means of taking us from the hopeless situation and to the flourishing that God has for us? It's through Christ's death, his resurrection in our place, and offering all that he did for us as a gift to us by grace. So you have all the elements of wisdom expressed through Christ, who is the embodiment of the wisdom of God, and it's given to us by grace. And if we get it, if we believe in it, then we can start becoming wise. Without Christ, there can be no wisdom. Without Christ, we don't know that we are sinners, that God wants to save us, and that this salvation is by grace through faith in the cross and the empty tomb. God's knowledge, His goodness, His power are on display in Jesus. But the gospel, this gospel that makes so much sense to the Christian, so much sense to us, is foolishness to the world. The wisest people in the world cannot accept it. Just like the Chaldean wise men in the Babylonian court could not interpret the king's dream, the wisdom of this world cannot live with the idea of sin because it challenges our self-confidence. The world can't live with the reality of God's salvation because it challenges our self-sufficiency and is abhorrent to the world. And the idea of grace flowing through the wounds of Jesus, that's just offensive to the world. Now, when I was very young in my high school years, I used to, this is a little bit about me, you may not want to know, or maybe you want to know. I used to, used to play guitar in the, on the streets of Kiev when I was younger to make some money and to pass the time. And, of course, you're thinking, well, how much money could you have made with your skills? And not, not, very, not very much. It was not a lucrative, lucrative vocation for me. But I got to hang out with all sorts of people downtown Kiev, all sorts of people. So you would have all the hippies hanging out there. You have all sorts of subcultures uh, converging on each other right downtown in the city I grew up in. And part of it was street preachers. So you would have street preachers doing their thing and doing the diagrams and chalk on the, on, on, the, on the concrete and preaching Jesus. And everybody's listening. Everybody's kind of in the same place. And so you're interacting with all the... And there's, there's a, a conflict of ideas that happens. And it was interesting to see how different people were responding to different ideas that were in that one place. And I remember... There was, there was a couple of musicians, real musicians, that were hanging out downtown. And I remember when we were all hanging out afterwards, one guy was making fun of the, the sermon that he heard, the, the preacher that was preaching about Christ. And he would strike, this musician would strike this pose, clearly pointing to the crucifixion of Christ, and he would mockingly say, now you can know God in me, or you can go get to know God through me. Because in his mind, there's no difference whether Jesus is the way to God or he is the way to God, because frankly, there is no God and nobody should be worried about that. But that stuck with me. I still I remember the, the body language and I remember those words and I was not a believer yet. 
So I was processing that, and I was hearing the gospel, and I, God was already moving in my heart, so I was already uncomfortable with the mockery of the gospel. But I haven't yet arrived to the belief of the gospel. But I saw the dissonance, the unbelieving heart saying, this is crazy. That's just foolishness to believe in this, that through some man 2,000 years ago that was crucified shamefully on the Roman cross, somehow you can know God if he even exists? That's just crazy. That's just silly. Why is this man downtown preaching, spending his life trying to convince us? It just seemed ridiculous from that perspective. And it did to me for a time until God opened my heart. And when that happens... All of a sudden, and, and there are so many stories like this in our church, I'm not in any way unique in that transformation, but when that happens, you start saying, this makes so much sense. Of course God would do that. If God loves me, and if he wants this for me, if he wants restoration for me, he wants to be reconciled to me, and he loves me, and the only way to do that is to, is to pay for my debt, is to is to take that offense that I have against him upon himself and redeem me with the blood of his son. And a regenerate heart, a heart that's been brought to life by the Holy Spirit, starts feeling these things intensely. And you start putting it together and you realize this makes perfect sense. This is wisdom of God. This is God looking at us and assessing our situation exactly the way it is saying, this is not what I want for you. I want this other life of flourishing and restoration for you. And the way I'm going to get you there is through sending my son, who would live a perfect life, fulfill all the obligations of humanity before God, will die a scornful death that the world does not understand, and through his death would bring us freedom and a new life in his, through his resurrection. Amen. Now, when you're a Christian... That makes sense. If you're not a Christian, it doesn't make sense because you are not yet wise. Because you have a wrong perception of who you are, you have a wrong perception of what the goals of life are, and you don't know how to get there. But through the gospel, through that acceptance of the gospel, by faith, this is very simple, acceptance of the gospel, you start becoming wise. So how can you get wisdom? You get Jesus. To get wisdom, you have to get Jesus. You have to understand the gospel. You have to understand what God has done for you on the cross. And if the cross is folly for you, if it's foolishness for you, there's no hope of you becoming wise. Jesus, the wisdom of God, had to become folly for us. He had to become foolishness and silliness so any kid downtown Kiev could, could make fun of him. He did that for us so that our foolishness can become wisdom, so we could gain the wisdom of God. So become a fool in the eyes of the world, but gain the wisdom of God by believing in the gospel of the crucified and risen Jesus. Now lastly, I'll give you some practical applications of this. We've dealt with some of the bigger pieces and we've connected it to the gospel. And now how do I apply it to my life now? Like, let's say I am a Christian, I believe these things, I believe the gospel has transformed me. How do I live wisely today and tomorrow and the next day? Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
The images I walk, I live, there's this progressive nature of my life that I make decisions, things come up every day, I deal with them. How do I do that with God's wisdom? I want to give you four words to help us live wisely. Number one, follow. Follow. Follow Jesus. Build a relationship with the wisdom of God embodied. Follow Jesus. And as you follow him, as that relationship grows, as you become closer to him, you will not be making these decisions on your own. You will live your life with a constant, wise companion. Jesus told us that he was going to send a counselor to us, another one like him, to teach us. We have the Holy Spirit through Christ. As you develop a relationship with God, as you follow Jesus, you get the benefits of indwelled wisdom. But it's difficult because we struggle, we fall back on our old natures, we fall, fall back on our folly. So the closer you are to Jesus, the wiser you will be in your everyday life. James says, anyone who lacks wisdom, just ask. Just ask him. Now see, it presupposes a relationship, right? I'm not going to go ask somebody I don't know, but if I know him, if I know God, I'm following Jesus, if I know him, James says, ask him for wisdom and he will give it to you. He's a generous God. And if you're struggling with something, ask him to guide you. Ask him to see the situation accurately. Ask him to understand what the best outcome would be here and ask him to give you the right means to get there. So that's number one, follow. Second word is obey. Obey. When you don't know what to do, do what you know. There's lots of situations in life where we say, I'm not sure. <laughs> and, I, and actually, that's where wisdom matters. Wisdom is for the gray areas of life. But if you don't know what to do, do what you know. And that presupposes that you know, that presupposes that you're reading your Bible, you understand what God says. As, as, as Josh was praying, God gave us his wisdom. He gave us his word. And the more you know the word, the easier it will be for you to make decisions. And the better you will know what to do in the moment, during the day, as things come up. I know I tell you that all the time, and I tell that to myself. The, one of the best things you can do for yourself as a Christian is read your Bible every day. Just please, please read your Bible every day. And you will see how much wiser you will become, how much God will equip you. He will equip you for the situations that have not happened yet, but you've already read about it. God has already been working on your heart. And now you're approaching that and you say, no, I remember. This is how God wants me to deal with that. Read your Bible. Number three, wait. So follow Jesus, obey the Bible. Number three, wait. Packer again, he says, we may be frankly bewildered at things that happen to us, but God knows exactly what he is doing and what he is after in his handling of our affairs. Always in everything he is wise. We shall see that hereafter, even where we never saw it here. Job in heaven knows the full reason why he was afflicted, though he never knew it in this life. Meanwhile, we ought not to hesitate to trust his wisdom even when he leaves us 
in the dark. Wisdom doesn't mean knowing everything. It doesn't. But if you know someone who knows, and if you trust someone who knows, and if you trust someone who has absolute power and has the best intentions for your life, then you just wait for things to develop the way they're supposed to develop. You just trust them to do it. One of the old sayings, sayings is that if you knew all that God knows, you would answer your prayers in exactly the same way that God does. If you had the resources of God, now we don't, my knowledge is very small, it's very slim compared to what God knows. My power to change circumstances is very weak. And I'm often not sure what the best outcome would be, but God knows all of that, and he's in control of all of that, and this is who we're trusting to answer our prayers. So when we pray, we just simply defer to his wisdom. We say, God only wise, you do what you think is right, because that is ultimately better even for me. And finally, the last word. So follow, obey, wait. And the last word is together. Together. To be wise, to experience daily wisdom, to walk in wisdom, we have to do it together. Now, as you read passages in the Bible that talk about wisdom, there's a lot about passing that wisdom down to the next generation. Again, Josh read a passage from Proverbs that talks about parents passing down that wisdom to their children. There's a lot of talk in Scripture about sharing wisdom with each other, helping each other, maybe through exhortation, maybe through encouragement, maybe through godly counsel. The presupposition of Scripture is that none of us is dealing with tricky situations on our own. When you read about Daniel and Daniel asking God to give him the revelation of the king's dream, he's actually not praying alone. He's praying with his three other friends. There was a community there. There was a church in Babylon, and they prayed to the only wise God to help them. They prayed together, and God used them together. Remember that the three friends actually become part of the administration. They become part of the political machine of Babylon to bring their influence, bring their wisdom into the pagan world of Babylon. God is using communities. And so we learn from Daniel today. We learn from his wisdom. We learn from his experience. And there's lots of Daniels here that we need to learn from. And you may be a Daniel that can teach others. Community, church are essential in our pursuit of wisdom. So as you think about wisdom, things to remember is that there's no wisdom outside of Christ. So if you're not in Christ, I'm going to urge you right now to consider him, to see him as he is, embodied wisdom of God, come in to help you, come in to give you an accurate assessment of who you are, the hope of restoration, and the path to restoration, and embracing that you start becoming wise. And then you follow him, follow Jesus, obey his word. You wait for things to work out the way God wants it to work out, and you do it in the context of the local church and community of believers.